Hello, and welcome to the Kiskea Chapel Sermon Podcast. Kiskea Chapel is an international church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where we equip English-speaking believers to expand God's kingdom in our community and beyond. For more information about Kiskea Chapel, you can visit us on our website at kiskeachapel.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, so has anybody played the game, Which Would You Rather? Anybody here? Have you ever played that? It's where you have two things, like really bad things, and you're supposed to choose between the two, which you would rather. So, like, this is a good one. Would you rather eat nothing but ketchup for one week, or would you rather eat nothing but mustard for a week? How many of you would rather just eat ketchup for a week? Ketchup people, yeah, oh yeah. I see that hand, I see that <laughs> Okay, how many of you would rather eat mustard for the week? Some of you are not committing. Does that mean you'd rather eat mayonnaise? You have, oh, you'd go mayonnaise. Okay, we got some mayonnaise people. How about hot sauce? How many would, okay, there's some people, hot sauce people, they're always there. Okay, so let me give you a couple more of those. Uh, Jump to the next slide. We won't do all of them, but would you rather have to sleep upside down like a bat or sleep standing up like a cow? Okay, how many of you would like to sleep upside down like a bat? Bat guy, just a few. All right. Most of you would like to sleep standing up like a cow. Okay, put those hands up. Let's see the cow people. Pretty good. Oh, the booth is heavily cow. That's interesting. Okay, let's do one more. Would you, uh, the green one there, would you have rather wear a clown nose for a month or wear a Mexican sombrero for a month? How many of you would rather wear the clown nose? Okay, clown nose, yeah, a few. How about sombrero? Is that a Haitian thing? It's just okay to wear a big sombrero, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's tough, isn't it, sometimes to choose between two good things or sometimes even tougher to choose between two bad things. In America, uh, if we ask people, you can look at the next slide here. Who would you rather have be president? George Washington or Abraham Lincoln? People would have a very hard time with this because they love both of them. So that's what would you, would, would you rather do? That's the whole point of the game is to get you to decide between things that are really difficult to decide between. Uh, very hard to choose between. Who would that be in Haiti? Would you rather have Leovature be president again or uh, Petion? Did I pick two good ones? Not good? That's an easy, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll stay out of Haitian politics so I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't really know what I'm talking about in American politics either, but only a few would know that. <laughs> Getting things in the right order is very important. Sometimes you have two things of equal value, but it can be very difficult to get them in the right order. So I'm gonna teach you, some Americans already know this, I don't think this is a common saying in Haiti, Uh, don't put the cart before the horse. How many of you have heard that saying? Okay, in America what we mean, uh, you, you have a different saying, I'm sure someone will come up afterwards and tell me the Haitian version of this, but all it means is that if you put the cart in front of the horse, 
It can't go anywhere. You gotta get them in the right order. You have to have the cart behind the horse if you want it to function correctly. Now both are important. The horse and the cart are equally important. If you're trying to get something somewhere, you need them both. But to get them to work, you have to put them in the correct order. You've got to get the cart behind the horse. Well, this is just as true with the kingdom of God. There are very, very important things that are equally important. You don't have to choose between. Would you rather have God be just or would you rather have God be merciful? Both. A a just God with no mercy would be an angry God that I wouldn't want to follow. A merciful God with no justice would let evil people off the hook. I don't want that either. So we have to get them right. We have to get them in balance. This is particularly true when it comes to the issue of discipleship and development. So if I ask somebody that was coming to Haiti to help, I say, what's more important? Do we need to tell them the gospel, the good news about Jesus and his forgiveness? Or do we need to help fix their water problem? Or help them deal with all the orphans, particularly since the earthquake? It's not an either or. We want to do both, right? The cart and the horse. But this morning I want to talk about getting them in the right order. It is our job as disciples of Jesus to care. Jesus put it this way, he said, as much as you do it to the least of these, my brethren, you do it to me. If you visit the sick, if you go to the prison, Jesus says, that's how I'll know your faith is real. Or James, more than likely the brother of Jesus, he said, uh, how will I know your faith is real unless I see it in your works? Faith without works is dead, cart and horse. Faith and works are equally important. But the Bible's very clear, you really can't do the works of God until you experience the faith of God. You have to get them in the right order. There are many people who try and do good works But because they don't have faith, it becomes something that they're incapable of. You've got to get the cart and the horse in the right order. So today, we're going to read from a passage where I think we see Jesus talk very specifically about this. It's Luke chapter 5, and I believe we have it up on the screen. If not, you can follow in your Bible. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. Let me read this long story to you because it's a phenomenal story. One day as Jesus was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and from Jerusalem was sitting there. Ooh, little pressure, right? The God squad showed up to check on Jesus. They were like, we better check this guy out. Verse 18 says, some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. But they could not find a way to do this because of the crowds. So they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat 
through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? Do you see what he's doing? He's playing, which would you rather? Would you rather me forgive this man's sins? Or would you rather me heal his paralyzed condition? Verse 24, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen remarkable things today. This is an amazing story. I, let me see if I can help you get the picture because I want you to think of this story in your head. And, and of course, we don't know. But with your imagination, I want you to think about what's going on here. Actually, the beginning of Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus goes to many villages and he heals the sick and he casts out demons powerfully. Well, this keeps going on so you know what's going to happen. Gigantic crowds of sick, demonized people start following him. Can you imagine if you're a mom and you have a young boy who has no use of his hands, they're paralyzed, and you heard that this Jesus is healing everybody he sees? What are you going to do if you're a mom? I'm finding out where he's speaking next, and I'm getting my child in front of Jesus. Well, this story tells us that he goes back to a village he was very familiar with. The people there knew him, Capernaum. And word gets out. Everybody knows, hey, the healer guy is here. Jesus is here. And he's been healing everybody. So they rush to Capernaum. And the story there, it tells us that the house is so completely crammed and crowded, they can't get anybody else in. In fact, these guys try and bring their friend who's paralyzed, they try and bring him in, and, and people are like, no, 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 we can't get any more people in here. Every nook and cranny in this house is full. You can't come in. Get back in line. <laughs> Can you imagine the people who let Jesus borrow their house? Let's give them a name. Let's call them the Levinsons. And Jesus' disciples come to him and say, hey, uh, Jesus is going to do some teaching tonight. Could we have a little meeting here at your house? And they're like, sure, of course. We'd, we'd love to have some people over. We'll make some treats. <laughs> they had no idea what was about to happen. This place is overrun, but it's not just overrun with normal people. 
It's overrun with people who are sick, people who have no hope. It's overrun with people who they believe are demonized. Say, this whole house, they're like, whoa, we did not prepare treats for these people. They were probably thinking, oh, sure, you can have your little meeting. What, are you guys going to have 20, 30 people over? No problem. Instead, their house is so crammed full that there are crowds standing outside, waiting, pushing, trying to get inside their house. They're <laughs> like, uh, we didn't know this was the kind of meeting this was going to be. Well, you probably need to know a little thing about houses in first century Israel. I've got a picture here. Uh, this would be a pretty typical Jewish home. We know this because archaeologists have dug, and so we kind of know what a, a typical house in the Capernaum area would have looked like. And it would have looked something like this. They're all a little different, but usually it's just one large room. So they build stone walls, and they use their version of stucco or uh, concrete on the outside kind of seal them up. And then you can see across the top there, they lay wood beams to make a flat ceiling. And on top of that ceiling, they lay tree branches, wheat, sod, grass, dirt, rocks, anything they can to make a roof that would be waterproof. So usually we would find that an Israeli home would have had two to three feet of dirt and rocks and sod and branches on top of those wooden boards. And they would use the roof quite a bit. Um, I think Haitians do this as well. They use the roof because it's too hot to sleep inside sometimes. They go up on the roof. That's what they would do. And so usually houses we've seen in Israel have these outside staircases that lead up to the roof. And that's the picture we get in the passage, the story we just read. It's so crowded inside, nobody can get in. And so these young men take their friend who's paralyzed on a mat, and they go, all right, let's just go get up on the roof and cut a hole in their ceiling. Again, can you imagine the poor Levinsons? <laughs> they said, sure, you can borrow our house. Not only is it crammed with sick and demonized people, but now all of a sudden they start seeing clods of dirt falling down from the roof. And they hear a lot of noise on the roof, and there's digging, and all of a sudden a hole opens, and a face is looking through. And then they make the hole wider. Can you imagine how big that hole must have been for them to lower their paralyzed friend? So they got ropes. I, I, I don't think they probably brought them. Somebody ran, got some ropes. They tied onto this man's mat, and they began lowering him down in front of Jesus. <laughs> now, think with me for a second about the other people who'd stood in line all day to get their child who was sick in front of Jesus. These guys are, we call it in America, taking cuts in the line. You know, you jump too far, you just act like, oh, I'm at the beginning of the line, and you jump in. That's what these people had to be thinking. Wait, wait, how do these guys get in front of Jesus first? I've been here since 
the earliest hours this morning because I have a sick child and I want Jesus to heal him. It's not fair that these guys get to jump to the front of the line just because they dug a hole in these poor people's ceiling and lowered their friend through. They drop him right in front of Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine those faces on the top of the roof, you know, fist bumping, high-fiving each other? It's like, we did it, guys. We figured out how to get our friend in front of Jesus. Think of this picture. Who's inside the house? All these disappointed people who are hoping Jesus would pay attention to them, and they're like, oh, what is this? And then there's all these Pharisees and teachers of the law, and they're like, okay, what is going on here? They're not happy. They're there to try and trip Jesus up. And all of a sudden, this guy gets lowered down. It says that Jesus looks up and he sees the faith of their friends. I'm guessing these are the only smiling people in the room that day. They're like, we did it. We did it. We got him in front of Jesus. And in my imagination, I don't know if this is true or not. Jesus, I think, is laughing. I think he's like, <laughs> okay. That's unbelievable. These guys wanted their friend to be healed so much, they tore up these people's house and lowered him through a hole in the roof. And my picture of Jesus is that he's like, <laughs> that's amazing. That's faith. That's real faith. Look at the next verse here. When Jesus saw their faith, not the, not the paralyzed guy, when he saw their friend's faith, he says to the guy, your sins are forgiven. Now, I had a friend many years ago after I'd just become a Christian. This is one of the first stories I ever heard from the Bible. A friend of mine named Tom Bronner was teaching on this passage. He said, can you imagine if you're the paralyzed guy and they lower you down in front of Jesus and you're thinking, okay, here it is. He's going to heal me. And instead of healing you, he says, your sins are forgiven. And I'll never forget it. Tom said, the guy was like, all right, take me back up out of here. This didn't work. <laughs> I didn't really come here to get my sins forgiven. I really came here because I wanted you to help me walk again. Can you imagine how confused or disappointed this paralyzed young man was? Why would he say your sins are forgiven? But he doesn't do it. Jesus doesn't heal this man because of his faith. He sees his friend's faith. He goes, that's amazing. You guys so believed that I could heal this man that you went through all the trouble of digging a hole through the roof and lowering your friend down in front of me. That's amazing. Your sins are forgiven. <laughs> now look at verse 21. Something different happens in verse 21. Jump to the next slide, please. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, what? This guy just said your sins are forgiven? Oh man, we got him now. We got Jesus now. 
Jesus, you are in trouble because nobody can forgive sins except God. How dare you say your sins are forgiven? So the religious guys think, all right, we got him. He's a false teacher. He's teaching people that he has the power to forgive sins. <laughs> now, Jesus doesn't really say anything. He kind of lets them draw their own conclusion like, mm-hmm, you're right. Only God can forgive sins. We just celebrated Christmas. Why does Isaiah call the baby Emmanuel? Because he's saying, yeah, God will be born into your neighborhood. He will be one of you. And yes, Jesus has authority to forgive sin. They were shocked at the time. They just thought he was a healer and a teacher. They weren't thinking this was God in the flesh. And so look at Jesus' response here, verse 22 and following. Jump to the next slide, please. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying home on, and went home to praise God. Because Jesus said, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? So let me ask you that question. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Which would you rather? I would say they're both nearly impossible to say. I have never said to somebody who was paralyzed, hey, get up and walk. <laughs> Nor have I met somebody who's had problems in life and I'd say, you know what, I'm choosing to forgive your sins. I'm like, both of those are impossible with humans. That can't be done. So Jesus asks them the which would you rather question. He turns to the Pharisees, he says, I know what you guys are thinking. So which is easier? Forgiving sin? Healing the sick? We don't know what to say. Remember the phrase I said, get the cart behind the horse? Jesus is saying that very same thing right here. He's saying, guys, this man's need is deeper than to get his legs fixed. He has a much deeper need and it's far more important. Not that either one's unimportant, but you have to get them in the right order. And so Jesus says, your sins are forgiven because he knows that's the root of all sickness. The reason sickness is in this world is because of human sin. And so Jesus says, your sins are forgiven first. And then, <laughs> just to really cause problems, Jesus says, oh, and by the way, just so you will know that I have the authority to forgive sins on earth, rise up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And the guy does it, Mark says, immediately. It's not like, well, I'm feeling a little better. It's immediate and dramatic. He gets off the mat, picks it up, and they clear a path for him to walk home. <laughs> Again, Jesus is trying to get across to 
the people that day and to you and I today. You have to get the cart and the horse in the right order. And the right order is forgiveness first because that's the deeper issue. But once you have shown forgiveness, then it is our job to say the kingdom has come and to pray for the sick and the demonized. It is our job to go visit the person in prison. It is our job to take care of the poor as best we can. We do this in Jesus' name, but you cannot do that effectively unless you've done the first thing. Okay? This is, for me, uh, a really important lesson. It was important when I was living in America. I'm realizing how important it is in my very short time and limited experience in Haiti. I go, you know what's happened? So many people have come down to do the healing stuff. We'll fix your water. We'll fix your electricity. We'll fix your orphanages. We'll try and help you with all these things. But they forgot to get the cart and the horse in the right order. The gospel of God's gracious forgiveness must come first. It's not a either or, it's a both and. We're supposed to tell people about the forgiveness and grace of God, and we're also supposed to go in Jesus' name and give them a cup of cold water. It's not either or, but you've got to get them in the right order. And what happens many times is good people, well-meaning people say, oh, I'm going to go try and help these people fix their problems. But I, I didn't do the first thing first. Declare to them the incredible good news that Jesus declares, your sins are forgiven. If people are not forgiven, and we give them a big bag of money, guess what happens to that money? It gets spent on the wrong stuff. Or in Haiti's case, what I can see is most of it just kind of magically disappeared. You got to get the order right. I, I read just a little bit about this. I, I don't Go to the next slide, I don't remember whether, yeah. This is my thesis, I think it's what Jesus is saying here. Development, trying to develop something among the poor in a country without discipleship always ends up in disaster if you get them wrong, wrong order. The, again, the, the question I get asked more than anything at all by North Americans when, when we were saying, hey, we're coming down to Haiti is like, hmm. We've thrown so much money, the world has thrown so much money, and it doesn't seem to have fixed that much. Why? Somebody said that on a Facebook post that was one of our donors that's helping support us to come here, and they had hundreds of comments, and almost all of them were saying the same thing. Maybe we should stop doing this, it doesn't work. Now here's the thing, I believe we give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name whether it works or not. I'm not giving it to other people, I'm doing it because Jesus told me to. Whether it works or not, it doesn't matter. But I know Jesus is teaching us a spiritual principle here. You must share the gospel before you try and fix people's needs or it won't work.
cart and a horse have to be in the right order. He's not saying do one or the other. He's saying you must do both, but you've got to get them in the right order. Listen to these statistics. I, I triple check these because sometimes on the internet you can read stuff and go like, oh, uh, that wasn't true, but I, I kept looking more and more for statistics. How much money has been given in Haiti? Now, there really, amazingly, aren't that many people out there who know the answer to that question. But from 1995 to 1999, a four-year period of time, the American government sent $884 million to Haiti. That's just the government, folks. I, I believe that churches sent far more than that. Okay, then post-earthquake, do you know how much money was sent from world places, governments, to help Haiti after the earthquake? $13 billion. I don't even know how to translate that into good. I don't know how much, it's a lot. Where'd it go? What happened? You know, the most disturbing thing I read was, I can only apologize for America. Guess where most of the American money went? To companies in Washington, D.C., who were supposed to come down here and help. Now, I believe some of them did. But I looked this up. I also found out, do you know how many non-governmental organizations, NGOs we call them, are in Haiti? Last year, the official count was 20,000 organizations down here trying to help. 20,000? The population of Haiti is somewhere around 11 million. It looks like this year, is, that's what they're saying in 2019, 11 million. 2.6 million just in the greater Port-au-Prince area. Do you know if we'd taken all that money and we simply wrote a check to every family in Haiti, do you know what we'd be giving them? One million good. Every family in Haiti. We could have just given them a check. Here's a million. In American dollars, that's a minimum of $11,000 to every family. So what happened? Well, that's the story of lots of corruption and organizations like the Clinton Foundation that raised all this money to help Haiti, but it really went to their political careers. I know the same thing happened down here. I'm assuming that's part of why people were protesting in the streets. But honestly, I'm not sure protest is going to get it done. The only thing that can get it done is the forgiveness of sins. Until corrupt politicians have a heart change, they will always take the money. It's just the way it is. That's not Haiti. That's every culture on the planet. Because every human being is struggling with the issue of sin. And as Paul puts it, they are slaves to sin. And until Jesus comes and liberates that slavery by saying, your sins are forgiven, we could send 200 billion here. It wouldn't make a difference. It would get used for the wrong stuff. It would go to the wrong people. Do you know that the, when we look at those who are truly hungry all over the globe, do you know the most recent statistic says that we could feed them six times over? 
We have enough for six times as many people. It's not a problem of money. It's a problem of will. It's a heart problem. That's why Jesus says your sins are forgiven first, instead of saying, rise, take up your mat, and go home. Now, please, I know some of you here, maybe many of you here, work for some of those NGOs, and you're going, is what we're doing worthless? No. Anything we do in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, hey, have I not told you? You will receive a hundredfold in this life, and in the life to come, eternal life. We don't have to be responsible for the results, but if we want to be strategic, I don't care what organization you're working with, you must begin to say, we must tell people about the forgiveness of sins first, or all the money and work and Americans, Europeans, it doesn't matter. That's not going to fix anything, because what's really broken in human beings is sin that breaks the human heart, and that covers every person on this planet. So we got to get the, cor- the cart and the horse in the right order here. Now, maybe this sounds like, uh, you know, I'm just talking about, you know, organizations and politics. Let me get personal for a second. I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you have the cart and the horse in the right order in your life personally? See, God's not against you loving your family. He's not against you having a good job. He's not against education. These are good things. But if you don't, as Jesus put it in Matthew 6, if you don't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things cannot be added unto you. I don't care how much education you have. It will not fix what's broken in your life. I don't care how committed you are to your family. It will still end up being broken. Even though you really love your kids, because of human sin, even parents who love their kids go through the heartbreak of realizing some of them have real problems. As a parent, your first job is to tell them the good news that Jesus has forgiven their sins. That doesn't mean you're not supposed to love them and care for them and be committed to them. It means that you got to get things in the right order. Same thing for your job. Some of you are like, I'll do anything for my job. Your job can't save you. I'm sorry. There are many people who've worked their whole life for one company only to be thrown to the curb a couple of years before they retire. <laughs> they go, what happened? It's like... Do not think you can put your trust in jobs or education or family unless you get the heart of the gospel first, first. Then the cart can be pulled by the horse. That's a horse that's powerful enough to pull that cart. When you get these things in the right order, It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Jump back, or go one more. Let me see if I've got it there. Tells the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Look at that last verse. Immediately stood up, (laughs) and he went, and everybody was like, what just happened? We've seen something truly remarkable this day. 
The same thing is true, whether it's a country or an individual. If they get things in the right order and the gospel is the first thing in their life, you'll see remarkable stuff. People go, whoa. Not always. Sometimes we still suffer in this life until we go to be with Jesus and he resolves all of those issues, all of our paralysis, he will heal. But we got to get first things first. It's only when we understand the forgiveness of God that we can rise up, take our mat, and go home. Until then, it won't do much. It's not bad. It just won't accomplish much. Same thing in your life. Until you put Jesus first, I'm not saying, oh, well, yeah, I know Jesus. I'm saying, no, until you put Jesus first, or as sometimes we would say, make him Lord of your life, that promise that all these things will be added cannot be applied to you because you got the cart and the horse in the wrong order. You're giving your life to the cart when you need a horse to pull it. So I would ask you this question this morning. Is Jesus truly Lord of your life? I'm not asking, do you know about Jesus' forgiveness? I'm asking, have you said, I will put this above my career, above my family, above my finances, above my education? You got to get things in the right order. As we pray this morning, I want you to examine your own heart. Is this true in your heart? If somebody examined your life, your your finances, the way you spend your time, would they find that you are seeking first the kingdom of God? Or would they say, no, you're seeking career, you're seeking money, you're seeking family, all good things but they won't work unless you've got the horse to pull it. That horse is the gospel of Jesus' forgiveness. That's why Jesus can say things like, if you don't hate your family, you cannot be my disciple. Does he really mean we should hate our families? No, no, he's saying in comparison, you got first things first. He's all for family, he talks a lot about it. One of the last things he did on the cross was make sure somebody took care of his mom. But you got to get it in the right order. Let's pray. Jesus, help us. We are so prone to get these things out of order. We are so prone to think that if we just pay attention to the cart, it'll be sufficient. Father, forgive us for thinking that we could come down and help Haiti after the earthquake or help any country unless first we could share with them the good news that Jesus has said your sins are forgiven. Father, help us make sure we get first things first, but not neglect the poor, not neglect the needy, not neglect the sick. But first, seek the kingdom of God and your righteousness and know that then you will add the ability to pull that cart. 
Help us do that. Help us think through our own life and what place you are in in our life. We ask that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We hope this message was helpful for you. If you're in Haiti, join us on Sunday mornings where English speakers from all backgrounds, missionaries, diplomats, Haitians, expats, come together to worship, to connect, and to have fellowship with one another. You can find more information about our location, our service times, and our Sunday school program for all ages at our website at kiskeachapel.org. Or shoot us an email at chapelq at gmail.com. That's chapelq at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.